As I said in episode 900, my update about dropping this podcast back to one a week for a while for health reasons, I'm going to be sharing brand new episodes only on Mondays for a while. I'm going to use my usual Wednesday and Friday slots to reshare some excellent older episodes. What follows is one of those interviews. I firmly believe that we ran the best campaign with the best candidate and the best team. I regret nothing. I learned so much um, and had an amazing experience. And always coming back to how proud I am of the work we did makes it easier to cope with the outcome. And I, I still think Elizabeth Warren would and will be an amazing president whenever that may happen. And in the meantime, she's an amazing senator. It's like she said on SNL, I'm not dead. I'm just in the Senate. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. I'm interested in the people that staff democratic political campaigns and develop the specialized communications expertise that modern political contests require. Anastasia Golovashkina was the social media director at Warren for President. She and her team put together content, mostly directly from the candidate, and figured out how to use social media platforms to further the campaign's goals. Anastasia had a strong background for that role, having used social media for high school and college campaigns, for professional political digital firms like 270 Strategies and Trilogy Interactive, where she had the opportunity to deal with many prominent politicians and organizations. Anastasia is a smart and thoughtful person, and she's a good story and useful lessons learned. She also faced some challenges during the campaign that we didn't cover, but that she's currently writing about. She's well worth your listen. So with that as background, my interview with Anastasia Golovashkina. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Thanks for taking the time today. Of course. Likewise. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? My name is Anastasia. I uh, served as the social media director for Warren for President. So that means I managed the social media team and directed social media content for Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign. My background before that includes uh, six years of political consulting, focusing on social media, and I graduated University of Chicago uh, with honors in economics and public policy. That's a very nice and succinct accounting of something that took you to a really interesting and important role in social media for a contending presidential candidate. That's pretty cool. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of your background? Where did you grow up? I mean, you said you went to University of Chicago, but what was your path to that? The answer to really how I got started in politics is basically my life story. I've been inspired by Barack Obama and Elizabeth Warren since I first started paying attention to politics. And social media has always been the medium that's made politics exciting and engaging for me. Might be a little bit embarrassing, but I think the first two things I really remember as sparking my interest in politics in any way were uh, the jib-jab a video, This Land is Your Land, the parody in 2004. I remember that, yes. Seems a little uh, old school now, but it was it was exciting then, yes. Truly iconic. And it's spread on social media. And the other one that comes to mind, and this is really where it gets embarrassing, is Obama Girl, Crush on Obama, 2008. It got my attention. I think it got many people's attention. Those were some of the earliest examples that really showed me the power of social media in spreading a message and 
getting people excited and engaged. Going back a little bit, uh, in my sophomore year of high school, we were assigned to give a persuasive speech. And I noticed nobody had signed up to speak about the upcoming election. So I just signed up, sure, I'll, I'll give a persuasive speech about why Barack Obama should be president. And in the process of researching for that speech, I became extremely excited and obsessed. I remember being especially struck by how many specific plans he had, and he had bold ideas for reform. And I also, I I genuinely felt hope for change. I became super involved from that moment forward. It sounds to me like the persuasive speech was most persuasive to you. Truly. Um, And I remember the time limit for it was something like eight minutes. And you're definitely not supposed to do this. But I went into something like 14 minutes and then the bell rang. I was super into it. I distinctly remember waking up at 6am on my 16th birthday to watch the United States Senate pass the Affordable Care Act. This is how into it I got. That same year after this persuasive speech, I volunteered for Barack Obama. I joined youth in government, junior states of America. Uh, and ran and won a seat on my high school's uh, student government. And I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't consciously think about it. But social media played a huge role in my work for all of those organizations, especially with student government. I ran on a platform, uh, also a very policy-focused platform, of legalizing iPods during lunch, study hall, and passing periods. I used a Facebook group to organize my supporters, which is basically my friends. My best friend, Margaret, uh, was a brilliant graphic designer, still is. Uh, and she helped me design some very cool posters. Let me tell you about them. One was uh, Anastasia Will Let You Finish uh, with me standing on a stage with Kanye West and Taylor Swift. Vote for her. Anastasia's on a boat, me on a boat with Lonely Island and T-Pain. My most controversial poster was Anastasia Supports You with me, fully closed, wearing an, a, a shirt that actually even covered my forearms, but with a big bra over it. Anastasia Supports You, vote for her. With that poster, what actually happened was uh, the student activities chair forced me to drop out of the race for student ambassador, which was a next level of election past student government. She actually brought me to tears when she brought me to her office and lectured me that she, quote, thought I was a feminist. I still stand behind that poster and uh, look forward to sending her a clip of this episode after our interview. (laughs) Oh, and I should say I won that election. I won re-election. Of course, you know, I was forced to drop out of student ambassador, but stayed on student government both years. And I kept my campaign promise. Uh, We we got uh, iPods legalized uh, during lunch, study halls, and passing periods. And 10 years later, uh, I've made this my career. (laughs) Now, do you think that was a good platform, iPods? I mean, I'm not sure whether students should be so engaged in media rather than talking to each other. Why was that so important? I think it's important to give people options. And I think uh, many students also focus better when listening to music. Uh, So that's where the study halls came into the mix. During passing periods, we already played music on the speakerphones regularly. So I think, what's the difference, you know, picking your own music uh, in your own headphones? And lunch, I think it's good to give people an option. I think uh, sometimes you just want to spend a little bit of time by yourself. And sharing music is a very important way that students can connect with each other. Some of my closest friendships, we bonded over a shared love for bands like My Chemical Romance, Crystal Castles, um, and I think I think that can be a very important part of the uh, conversation and uh, friendships. I think you are good at the persuasive speech. So after high school, as you said, you went to the very fine University of Chicago. What was that like for you? And in high school, I should say I was also super into academics. So I took 10 AP classes and got all fives on them. I posted on Facebook about getting 10 fives and I got a bit of crap from other students. Um, so also learned about uh, online backlash. Um, <laughs> but anyway, when I was first applying for colleges, I, I really wanted to go to Harvard. And ultimately I was waitlisted and then it didn't work out and I was bummed. And my first year I even considered transferring uh, or applying to transfer. Who knows if I would have gotten in. I think I learned a very important lesson in that even though I was disappointed then with the outcome that I was going to University of Chicago, I am so glad I did. I regret nothing. And I I had the opportunity to pursue so many exciting opportunities there. And it is, I'm so glad that that's where I went. 
I knew I wanted to study economics and public policy. Uh, the economic recession in particular inspired me. Around that time, it was also when Elizabeth Warren um, started making her political rise. Um, her appointment and leadership of the Dodd-Frank Congressional Oversight Panel and Consumer Financial Protection Bureau in particular um, showed me that holding big banks and business accountable for their roles in the financial crisis wasn't just important, but actually possible. And I've always been very passionate about sticking it to the man. So that excited me. Um, but bring it back to University of Chicago. Uh, Barack Obama uh, made his headquarters in Chicago and, of course, Hyde Park, where University of Chicago is located and where he taught at the law school, had uh, a lot of great opportunities for getting involved. And I led uh, students for Barack Obama in uh, on the Hyde Park campus. And we also uh, led some volunteer opportunities for local community members as well. I got extremely lucky that the Institute of Politics launched shortly thereafter. And I had so many opportunities to pursue my passion for politics uh, right on campus and also connect with uh, leaders in this space and also get involved with opportunities uh, run by the IOP. I'm so uh, passionate about the IOP that I uh, am still involved uh, with the IOP Alumni Committee to this day and helping them with uh, social media strategy, as always. What was it about the Institute of Politics there that you found so appealing that you stayed involved? I felt like I had a space um, and opportunities to connect with like-minded peers. And what I also love about social media is that it removed barriers to access to people I admire so much that these are real people and I can be like them uh, and I can learn from them and I can ask them questions. I think that's such a powerful idea. I think a lot of us, and maybe even today, look at celebrities or politicians as abstract figures, not as real people. And I think it is such a powerful idea that, no, these are real people who are sitting a few feet away from you and you can be just like them. I really appreciated that. And I appreciated having a community of peers I could talk to about politics and who shared my passion. Um, because at the University of Chicago, in my economics and public policy courses, but especially the economics ones, I did run into a lot of classmates who uh, were very focused on data work and on math and on becoming bankers. And that's, that's cool. You do you. I'm much more passionate about politics and was thinking of an economics degree more as a means for understanding how to make change to economic policy. I was also extremely involved on campus, um, not just with the IOP, but also, as I mentioned, I led students for Obama and organizing for action in Hyde Park. Uh, I was the communications director for College Democrats. I actually designed the logo and website they still use. And before I even came on campus, I called the president of the Chicago Dems at the time, and I told him some ideas I had for uh, ways that we could uh, spark more student involvement from incoming first years. I did the same with the Chicago Maroon, the uh, the college paper. I contacted the editor-in-chief at the time, and I said, I really want to write for you. So I actually wrote my first article for the college paper during my orientation week before I even started classes. I also used college to explore a wide range of interests to learn what I did like, but also what I didn't. Oftentimes, we can look at resumes of folks um, um, and not that I'm particularly cool, but my resume paints a very clear picture of a linear career path that focused on social media and politics. But I've done a lot of other things, and I've learned a lot about what I do and don't like through that. I co-founded and served as the managing editor of the Undergraduate Law Review. Uh, and even though my co-founder and I were super passionate about law at the time, we both learned that law was not for us. She ultimately went into a completely different field and didn't go to law school. Uh, and I certainly didn't go to law school either. I tutored with the math department. And I think through that, I learned that I really love teaching, training, and mentoring others. I love uh, being able to empower someone to do something or understand something that they may have previously not thought possible. And I think that also helped me with uh, future training and management that I've done on the campaign and beyond. I interned with the Serve Illinois Commission and learned how clunky a government email account can be. I worked as a research assistant with a professor at the Booth School of Business and learned data analysis is cool, but maybe I don't like staring at spreadsheets for 12 hours a day. I interned with Progressive Public Affairs and learned how many bottles of alcohol are involved with law and state lobbying. 
I even did some contract work uh, with uh, Baser Consulting and learned how our health insurance system works. And in the vast majority of cases also doesn't work. Um, so there's a lot of things I did. It sounds like an incredibly busy and fruitful uh, and engaged college time. How did you have time for all that while carrying a regular course load and graduating? How did you get that all in? I think high school in particular really prepared me for that because I was also extremely involved, but also balanced a very busy course load. If anything, I think high school was busier for me than college. And um, taking those 10 AP classes I mentioned, let me knock out a bunch of electives and uh, core requirements, um, which University of Chicago is pretty strict about a lot of different graduation requirements, including taking a pretty heavy core course load. So no matter what you're studying, you're going to be reading some philosophy and some, some other classic texts. Um, there's really no way around it. But I was able to knock out some other core requirements and pursue a double major. In terms of how, I think I really love pursuing the things I'm interested in. Um, I love learning. I think my passion just fuels my ability to do, do these things and uh, not have it feel like work, but actually something that gives more meaning and color to my life. With passion and with genuine interest, I'll find a way to make it work. Was it easy? Not always, but I really loved doing these things and found a way to fit it all in. What was your first paid job after college? Well, I worked part-time at 270 during my second two years at University of Chicago. It, it started as an unpaid internship and evolved into a part-time job. 270 staff were so generous with their expertise and taught us everything they knew about digital organizing and political strategy. Um, and so many folks who were part of that first class of interns with me have gone on to do really amazing things as have many of the folks at other levels of the company. And just a, a few examples, um, Catherine Tarzany, who also co-led Students for Obama with me on campus and was one of our, the first interns at 270. She's now analytics director at the DNC. Laura Carlson was also one, um, one of the first interns. She's digital director at the Democratic Governors Association. Greta Carnes. I, sh I should know how to pronounce her last name, right? Uh, she, she was just National Organizing Director at Pete for America uh, and led the relational organizing strategy that I think many folks are eager to learn about and I think was very innovative uh, and effective. At 270, you were working with people who had really had big roles in the Obama campaign. What was the big takeaway? Oh, wow. Where to, where to even begin? First, I learned how the, the, the nuts and bolts of how digital organizing works and how political digital strategy works. Before starting at 270, I genuinely did not know that. I, I figured that maybe Barack Obama isn't writing his own campaign emails, especially when the campaign is sending five a day. Um, that, that's probably not him. But I, I didn't know that even... Uh, emails that come from senior staff uh, or other folks, Michelle Obama. I didn't realize they didn't write those themselves and all the work that goes into crafting voice for this content, all the work that goes into uh, crafting effective structure for emails and for social media and et cetera for, for fundraising purposes and really uh, learned and had an opportunity to also craft a uh, structure around uh, social media content drafting, reporting. I learned how client engagements work so much. For, and for some reason, the one thing I always, I always remember um, learning as well is one of the first lessons that my manager, Bridget, conveyed to us was if someone assigns you a project, uh, make sure to always ask for a deadline. And I continue to do that. And I think it's, it's a really good tip. And learning from the experts really brought a new level of polish and formality and structure to my understanding of what I was doing. I didn't just do these things, but now understood the underlying strategy and how to do it and why it works and how to know if it is working. You moved from there to another prominent democratic digital firm called Trilogy. During my third year in college, uh, I took a trip to the Bay Area one really great way to fall in love with California is to visit California from a cold place in the winter. Wow. Just stepping out of the airport. I remember how warm it was. It was, it was so nice. So I fell in love with the Bay Area in a matter of 
three days. After graduating college, I really wanted to move to the Bay Area. I applied uh, to work at Trilogy Interactive, and I launched and led the social media department at that firm. And before me, Trilogy, of course, they did social media work, um, but I think they really thought about social media as an accessory to email. And granted, email is where most online fundraising happens. Uh, And this is still how many firms think about social media, particularly organic social media. I really love the opportunity to uh, take the lessons I learned at 270, where I I led 270's own social media and also supported client work um, for a range of really exciting clients. Um, They worked on Cory Booker's first Senate race, Rokana's first congressional race, Wendy Davis's first campaign, and also some really innovative clients that were ahead of their time, like Capture, which was like an Apple Watch meets Alexa hybrid. There were a lot of concerns at the time with um, the privacy features of this tool. And it's it's pretty ironic that now we are all wearing these kinds of things on our wrists and have Alexa listening to us all day. Another client that comes to mind was uh, that I worked with was Farmigo, which was an Instacart, the kind of an Instacart for farmers markets, which again would... It seems like it would be so popular and trending right now. But anyway, I took the lessons of that work at 270 um, and also, of course, all the things on campus and applied them to developing a structure and a really strategic approach to working on social media projects and really owned that department. I really loved doing that work. How would you compare sort of the culture at Trilogy versus 270? I think the the shared values are very similar. Of course, they're both progressive firms working with decently similar clients. Trilogy brings more of that California culture too, where it's, I think it is a bit, not necessarily more laid back, but I think I really appreciated how friendly um, and supportive folks were. But that's really true at both firms. I think uh, at Trilogy, I what I really loved was having the opportunity to work more directly not just on the strategy but also on execution and i think some of the most rewarding and impactful engagements were also the ones where i got to work even if only briefly directly with the candidate um, i think it was really great to connect directly with the the candidate to understand their voice their priorities um, answer their questions and ask my own some cases that come to mind were got to have a couple calls with Tina Smith uh, and talked to her about her uh, vision for her for her social media when she was launching her re-election campaign after she was appointed to the Senate. Um, Eric Garcetti, I got to fly out to Los Angeles um, to do some on-the-ground social media coverage and really loved doing that work um, as we built out his national brand from just being a figure in Los Angeles. Um, Dean Phillips, Lenny Kunalakis, uh, Alex Morris, um, many others. Uh, and I can tell you some, some really great stories about um, those great client engagements. Um, but I think I really loved that it was uh, had more opportunities to also work directly with fo- those folks. Um, and then also, of course, more of a leadership role and building out a team. I really felt like I was in the thick of things, um, especially in 2016 and 2018. I mean, you were a pretty young woman to be interacting and advising these, you know, mayors and senators and folks like that, how did they respond to you? And was there any challenges involved in, in that role? I am young, um, but I think that's an asset uh, with uh, my understanding of social media and my use of it, both just intuitive use of it and um, everyday integration of it into my daily life since middle school, really. I'm, I wasn't just a Facebook kid. I was a MySpace kid. I was a Zynga kid. You're highly digital native, right? Extremely online, always. Folks who are younger than me, Gen Z has a particularly acute and very valuable understanding of social media that um, that even ex- can, in some cases, exceeds my own, particularly for new platforms like TikTok. And before that, Vine, um, I really admire how creative... Uh, Gen Z is with using these platforms. So I definitely have that respect. Um, And I think in cases of advising folks who are at these more senior, very respected levels, I, I have so much respect for what they do. But social media isn't really their expertise or responsibility. Their, their responsibility is to be the leader and the candidate. I personally have never run into disrespect 
due to my age from candidates specifically, but I've certainly um, run into other instances of, you know, microaggressions or, or disrespect. But I don't know if that was necessarily attributable to my age. I think ultimately it's it comes down to my understanding of these platforms, my um, grasp of the strategy and, and thoughtfulness. And I think um, expertise can come across at any age. Um, and I like to think that I'm representative of that. So you had said that you had taken an interest in Elizabeth Warren way back before she ran for president. But how did you connect with the campaign? Absolutely. So I uh, have been a, a big fan of Elizabeth Warren's for quite some time. I've been looking forward to her running for president for a while. Uh, I understand why she did it in 2016, but it was something I said often that I, I, I wish she had. Um, and I will say, of course, I voted for Hillary. But um, when Elizabeth Warren announced she was running for president on New Year's Eve, uh, or she announced her exploratory committee uh, on December 31st, 2018, I applied. And I applied the day she announced. I will say uh, I went back into a hiring platform to check. Did I actually apply the day she announced? Um, fact check, true. I did. I didn't actually start until uh, June 2019. Uh, and one piece of advice I, I like to give folks um, if they're waiting to hear back from a potential employer is it, it took me more than a couple months um, to join the team, but I certainly had the opportunity to do so. Checking in is good, but also patience is also valuable. Um, campaigns, as I've certainly learned many times over, have a lot going on, and not getting back to you immediately isn't a sign that you're not a great candidate. When you applied, who were you applying to? Who was doing the hiring? And When I applied, uh, I applied just through a, I, I believe it was just like a static landing page, um, just uh, send us a general interest application. Uh, so I didn't apply for a specific role. I think because I applied so early, they made the decision about the role. But at the time when I joined the mobilization or digital team, I had just three social writers, one designer, and a much smaller video team with a video director. Everyone reported directly to the chief mobilization officer who also approved all content uh, and had dozens of other direct reports. So she had a lot going on. Uh, my first priorities uh, were getting to know folks across the campaign staff, getting to know what they do. Uh, and then once I felt like I had a good understanding of things, um, formalizing the structure of the social team, implementing a consistent process for monitoring and incorporating data into our work, picking reporting tools uh, and advocating for them in our budget, and then integrating data insights into our work. My first projects also focused a lot on strategy, a set of resources staff can use to support the campaign on social media. So things like their bio links, cover photos. Um, folks might also remember uh, our Liberty Green profile photos, um, formalizing a bit of a process around those, refreshing some of our profiles, uh, launching on new ones. Presidential campaigns are also extremely demanding workplaces, and I implemented weekly one-on-one -on -one check ins with each member of my team. I think it was really important to ensure they had an outlet each week and more if needed um, to share any stresses or concerns, problem solve together, share what they want to be working on. Um, and I think really make sure they felt supported because it, it, this is really a demanding job. What were the highlights for you of the primary campaign? Oh, wow. Um, so many. I think I love the opportunity to work across um, so many different teams. I think what I really appreciate about social media and social media specifically on this campaign uh, was that it really served as the main communications mouthpiece of our work. We had an opportunity to work across with every team on the campaign. I really love learning from other folks and meeting other folks. Our policy rollouts, I really appreciate how, um, how thoughtful and how many they were. There was a high quantity, but each one brought depth, breadth, and quality. Uh, and for so many of those, we brought in leading diverse voices of expertise in those spaces. Like for our um, plan for disability policy, we um, brought in experts from um, that space to advise and, and support that crafting. For our climate change plans, uh, we brought in Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, um, who's a marine biologist, um, and Rihanna Gunn-Wright, who's one of the architects of the Green New Deal, to um, support the crafting of our own plans for a Green New Deal and a Blue New Deal. Some moments that do stand out, I think, are some of our 
um, most impactful content. It's always been things that we took a bit of a risk around. Um, so what comes to mind was our billionaire tears mug uh, that by popular demand, our calculator for the billionaires uh, after Bill Gates misrepresented how much he'd be paying in our wealth tax, we, we made a calculator to make it easy for him and added a couple other billionaires in there like Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, make sure they, they know how, uh, how much they'd be paying. The Go Cougars will always stand out as a pretty iconic moment for our campaign. What was Go Cougars? I don't remember that. Oh, so um, I believe Jacob Wall uh, or one of, one of the many conspiracy theorists um, from the ultra-conservative right had a press conference claiming that a very young Marine was having a, I feel ridiculous even recounting this, a BDSM relationship with Elizabeth Warren. Um, so Elizabeth Warren went to University of Houston and their mascot is cougars. Uh, so we did a tweet uh, about the importance of student loan forgiveness and uh, how grateful Elizabeth was for uh, the $50 a semester education she was able to receive at University of Houston. Go Cougars! Does it make, uh, make sense it. a little bit? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So I think that the job of a social media strategist for a campaign has got a very a great deal on the character and personality of the candidate. How is this particular candidate to work for? Fantastic and wonderful. I think what made our content so successful in great part is that the vast majority starts directly with the candidate. Um, it's direct quotes from Elizabeth Warren. It's direct videos of her speaking directly to supporters. And our team really posted a uniquely high volume of video content, both overall in, in this space and during rapid response moments like town halls and debates. She's uh, so creative and has so many great riffs. Uh, and so when we had those great moments. We uh, would also adapt them into GIFs and quote graphics, uh, encouraging those best moments to be shared and remembered beyond a single news story or event. I only have truly the best things uh, to say about Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, gosh, uh, so many great qualities. Uh, she's a, a fantastic uh, leader who really sticks to her values. She's a hard worker who always shows up for her staff and for her supporters. Um, for instance, the selfie line was entirely her idea. Our campaign manager, Roger, actually tried to talk her out of it. And she said, no, I want to do this. So after every town hall and often even spontaneously in airports or after debates, she would do three or four hours of totally free photos with supporters. Uh, and Rachel Maddow asked her about this once. And she said, well, uh, the last guy was in line until the end. So I stayed until the end as well. That commitment to values and her commitment to hard work really trickled down to the rest of the campaign. I think it's it's really inspiring to see our candidate working so hard and staying so true to herself. It, it really helps us always know kind of what the right thing to do is and keeps us passionate and inspired and uh, fueled for this work. For me, this campaign was not working on any of the campaigns, but watching felt like quite a roller coaster emotionally. There was, I think, a time when it looked to me like Warren had a real chance to win the nomination. There was sort of a decline from that and it didn't end up happening. How did you cope with the kind of emotional side of of the competition? Well, the first thing is don't ride the polar coaster. Monitoring polls can be futile because we never know what's going to happen and things can really change so quickly. I think we learned that in 2016, and especially in 2020. I believe in the lead up to Super Tuesday, we released a memo for the road ahead. And then, of course, Super Tuesday happened, and we exited the race a few days later. I think kind of tying back to your question right before this, um, I really appreciate how Elizabeth Warren personally showed up for staff um, for with leading all staff calls around pivotal moments and coming by HQ many times, sometimes with Bruce and Bailey. I think she really went out of her way to show appreciation for every member of staff on, on staff. And in terms of how, how we coped with it, I firmly believe that we ran the best campaign with the best candidate and the best team. I regret nothing. I learned so much um, and had an amazing experience. 
and always coming back to how proud I am of the work we did makes it easier to cope with the outcome. And I, I still think Elizabeth Warren would and will be an amazing president whenever that may happen. And in the meantime, she's an amazing senator. It's like she said on SNL, I'm not dead. I'm just in the Senate. <laughs> yeah. What's next for you? Uh, currently uh, continuing to uh, work with Elizabeth Warren uh, on all things social media. And do you have any like vision for yourself for how you might take your career going forward? That's a good question. I was just talking to a recent graduate. I told her that I think it's pointless to super closely plan all this out because anything can happen. Um, but it's good to have big goals and a general idea of what you'd like to do. Um, and I'm also applying that for myself. I would love to continue working at the intersection of social media and digital strategy and progressive politics. These are two things I'm super passionate about. And I think I really have a unique expertise and uh, understanding of uh, this, the intricacies and nuances of this space. I think continuing to um, drive innovative strategy in the space is what I'd like to, I'd like to do. Bigger picture, I think, just continuing to pursue more leadership opportunities here, creative new strategies, uh, and and really, who knows? Um, maybe that might look like having my own uh, consulting firm. Uh, maybe that might look like a similar role on a future campaign. I think there's a lot of opportunities, and I'm I'm just always keeping my eyes open for them and pursuing them. The way I also think about it is pursue um, what opportunities present themselves to me and leave it up to others to close those doors and um, find the ones that are open and go after it. Sounds reasonable. You ran for office in high school. Have you ever thought about being the candidate yourself? I've gotten asked that so many times recently. I am extremely flattered. I have. It's very appealing. I also, I really loved being kind of behind the scenes and uh, focusing more on, on the digital aspects. If the right opportunity presented itself and if I feel like I can make a powerful positive difference and I genuinely feel um, passionate about the opportunity to run for that specific office, I think I would. But I think it has to come from really the, the need for a specific policy and specific um, change in that office. Um, I think it, it shouldn't start just from, I want to be a politician, you know, that kind of thing. And I, th I think that's exactly how Elizabeth Warren ran. I think that's how Barack Obama ran. And I deeply respect that approach. And that's what I'd like to emulate. When you think about the practitioners in the area of, you know, the intersection that you're interested in, digital strategy and politics, who do you think out there is really good? Who, who do you look up to? Who have you learned from? First of all, Caitlin uh, on our team, she is brilliant. Uh, she was previously CMO at the DNC. And I think she has a really brilliant, really grasp of digital strategy and how all the different pieces intersect with each other um, and how to make true digital mobilization work. Some other uh, folks who I think are doing social media really well right now in the political space. Um, a couple of examples that come to mind are Ayanna Presley and Katie Porter. I think um, their campaigns and those candidates specifically um, have really used social media very effectively. Barack Obama, folks behind his content, not just during the campaign, but to this day are brilliant. He was the first, one of the first candidates to use Spotify playlists, um, which I, th I think that, that was brilliant. And I, I love those playlists. His uh, commencement address recently with the graduate together hashtag, I think is great. I think he really uses his social media strategically and effectively to weigh in as a public figure on, on important issues. And I, I really appreciate that. Michelle Obama as well. Absolutely. One thing that I, always comes to mind is really amazing social media work in politics uh, is uh, Joaquin and Julian Castro's uh, TikTok to the song, Who Are You?, if folks haven't seen it, check it out. It's amazing. I can also give you some examples of other folks who I think are doing social media well, if, if that's of interest. Sure. TikTok stars, I think, uh, are really some of the most creative people on social media right now. One person who comes to mind is Sarah Cooper. And I guess this kind of counts as the intersection of politics. Uh, Sarah Cooper is the comedian who's making 
uh, those hilarious TikToks to audio from Donald Trump's press conferences. Um, like they're the ones tremendous. Where he, yes, I've they're, seen them. They're brilliant, uh, and I think I think she's great. Her nonverbal is amazing on those. You it, know, truly, truly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you haven't seen him, go look at a few. This is essential viewing. It truly is. Um, <laughs> she's great. Um, I think Saturday Night Live also really, really solid use of social media and just late night shows in general, but in particular them. I think they do a lot of what we do well and there's a lot to learn from them. They they live tweet during uh, airings of their shows, kind of like we live tweet during major events and speeches. Um, they do short clips of key videos and they optimize them for social media and they do GIFs and Sometimes even quote graphics, but especially those gifts are are great. Last person I have to praise on social media, Cardi B. Uh, I think I love how she's true to herself. She has a unique voice, and I love that she uses her platform to regularly comment on social issues in an accessible and meaningful way. I don't always, of course, agree with everything she said throughout the history and done throughout the history of her life, but. That disclaimer aside, I appreciate how she uses her platform to weigh in and make make issues that seem may seem boring um, really accessible and interesting to her audience. Going to when she talked about coronavirus back in March and said, "Now this thing is going on tour." She was right. She's also really thoughtfully weighed in on the current issues of police brutality and racism. I appreciate that. But she is more appreciation of political nuance than I think people give her credit for. I think she's definitely one to watch. Of course, so many people follow her already. You talked earlier in this conversation about like things that were in exciting, engaging on social media, like Jib Jab and Obama Girl. And you're talking now about sort of some of the entertainers who are really good at this. Is it any concern to you that politics is so much of an intersection with entertainment right now? And that, you know, the skills that maybe you need to be a successful politician have so much connection to entertainment. I mean, in some ways that got us the current occupant of the White House, who's a bit of an entertainer and is certainly a reality TV star. I mean, do you have any concerns about sort of your profession making politicians, you know, more accessible to the masses by making them more entertaining? I think it doesn't necessarily have to be entertainment or just attention grabbing. I think what matters is um, being engaging and authentic and accessible. And I think Elizabeth Warren, for instance, um, I think we've done a great job making, um, producing engaging, informative, authentic content that isn't just entertainment for entertainment's sake. And I think that also applies to the examples I gave. For the most part, Cardi B, for instance, like she's speaking very authentically, but about important issues. And it's not just entertainment or attention grabbing for the sake of that. With Donald Trump, for instance, um, you spoke to the current occupant of the White House. I worry deeply about how he uses and abuses his platforms, not just social media, but the powers of the presidency and including the bully pulpit. He spent the past decade using social media to peddle unsubstantiated conspiracy theories, going back to birtherism, but maybe even more before that, threaten violence um, and um, mock people. And he tear gas protesters for a photo op outside the White House, which is awful. He's repeatedly shown us that he's obsessed with winning attention and popularity to the detriment of everyone and everything else. Um, and I, I, that's certainly not what I get behind. I think there's a. I think it's important to make content and information interesting and accessible for people so that they get engaged. That's very different from just attention grabbing for that the sake of that or attention grabbing to distract from bigger issues. Um, I, th- I think those are two very different things. I think for for what I support is starting with the core foundational principles and values and policies and then finding ways to uh, make them engaging for audiences and uh, make them interesting. Whereas I think other folks like Donald Trump may begin from just the standpoint of I want popularity and to win. Uh, and I think those are different things. 
I think that's a, a good answer. Is there a question that I haven't asked that you would like to answer? I think one piece uh, of advice um, for folks looking to get into politics, uh, what I would say is just getting started is one of the most important things. So for instance, I got my start volunteering for uh, Barack Obama's campaign and um, also uh, getting involved at the student level. Um, I think it's essential to learn by doing in this space and anyone looking to get into this kind of work will benefit immensely from just uh, talking to voters, um, make calls, knock doors, um, do more. Uh, knocking doors in particular, that's like trick-or-treating for democracy, I think. Highly encourage doing that if it's safe in your area, given the current situation. I recommend just starting there. Uh, and then as you learn what kind of work you enjoy doing and develop the relevant skills, um, seek out more opportunities to do so. Uh, I gave this advice to uh, a high school junior after a talk I did in San Francisco last year. And it's been really exciting to watch her get involved with Bay Area for Warren. Um, she even organized a volunteer phone bank for local high school students. Uh, and I was so proud when I saw that. I uh, saved a screenshot in the Instagram story she did to promote it. Uh, so I think the, the biggest thing is don't second guess too much and just kind of get started um, and you'll learn quickly. But learning by doing is essential. I do get a lot of questions about um, how my, what did I study in college to learn how to do social media for political campaigns? And there isn't a social media major, um, as far as I know, one that I'd recommend, um, social media for politicians major. I think it's, it's, it's really about learning by doing. Um, and at the same time, I'm, of course, deeply grateful for my college education for equipping me with a great work ethic and also um, thoughtfulness around various issues and related skills, but nothing, nothing beats really learning by doing. You know, since you're on a podcast right now, I think I should ask you, do you listen to any political podcasts and which, which, if any, do you like? Well, I listen to a combination of political, but also I think a, not, not apolitical, but quasi-political. Um, so let me just pull up some of my favorites and tell you about them. So the uh, one I really like is it's it's a, it started as a YouTube show, but he also uploads them to uh, podcast as a podcast. Um, the Philip DeFranco show. I've, I've been following him since 2010, 2011. Uh, and what I really appreciate about uh, his program is that he lays out a very detailed presentation of the facts first, and then he explicitly says, "So those are the facts, and then my opinion." And I think that's so important because I think what a lot of political coverage lacks right now is a distinction between facts and opinions. That's definitely contributed to the substantial divide we're seeing continuing to grow um, in, in political conversations and society more broadly right now. It's that we're starting with a very different understanding of the facts and some mistaking of facts versus opinions. Uh, and I really respect how he does a nice job laying the differences out um, and really like that program. Um, and that's a, that's a daily show. Two shows that aren't explicitly political, but I definitely check out um, uh, weekly at least. Um, one is Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. I think they do a really great job providing sharp commentary on the latest developments in tech and politics. And I think the intersection of those is particularly important always, um, but especially now with everything going on. And of course, you know, Elizabeth Warren has uh, the breakup big tech plan, which wholeheartedly support. Pivot does a good job discussing these issues um, with nuance and with expertise. Kara Swisher, of course, um, extensive experience being as a tech journalist. Uh, Scott Galloway, great extensive ex expertise um, in business and as a professor, I believe, at NYU. Um, so I'm a big fan of that pod. Another one that I love listening to is Awesome Etiquette. And I believe you're in Vermont. They're run by Vermont Public Radio. And what I was really surprised to learn uh, when I reached out to them just uh, out of interest a few years ago is that I didn't expect the Emily Post Institute uh, to be super liberal, but they are. It makes sense because I think progressive values are about consideration, respect, and honesty and welcoming and supporting a diverse spectrum of voices and making society work for everyone. And I think they really, like, if you're thinking, oh, an etiquette podcast, that sounds silly, and that's only for people who really need to improve their rudeness. Um, I think I think the opposite. I think it's really for people who want to take their 
thoughtfulness and consideration to the next level and really show care for others. I think they've really helped me be more thoughtful in my day-to-day interactions, um, especially including around political issues. Some others that come to mind, uh, Savage Lovecast. Um, I, I think, of course, it's a relationship advice podcast, but he starts with a uh, an opening that focuses on the, the current political issues of the day and injects thoughtful nuances about the current political environment into his very realistic and actionable advice um, for folks navigating various issues. And I really appreciate that. Um, and then in terms of like very strictly political ones, um, love the daily show. Uh, Rachel Maddow is fantastic. Uh, and of the pods of America pods, uh, I think probably the, the main one and then, uh, love it or leave it are probably my favorites. Um, but I think I especially appreciate the podcasts that aren't entirely explicitly political, but bring in the importance of politics and the importance of changing social dynamics and thoughtfulness about caring about the individual experiences of other people and making society or even just a daily interaction as effective and as um, welcoming for everyone as possible. I, I really appreciate those. Besides the great battlefield. That's, let's start with there. That's the best one. <laughs> Anastasia, it's really been an honor to talk to you today. Is there anything else you want to say? Don't forget to vote and follow me on Twitter at Golovashkina, just my last name. The always easy Golovashkina. <laughs> hey, I didn't pick my last name, but it's available on virtually every social media platform when I first joined it. So I got to awesome. yeah. use it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Unlike Anastasia, which is is not. You have, uh, you know, a Scrabble champion's name. So that's, that's a good good set of letters to have. It's just a total tangent. But um, what's interesting is that in Russia, Anastasia is not, it's a, it's like a Lauren or a Katie. Walk into any room, any room and say like Anastasia, Natasha, maybe, uh, maybe Anna. And then half the half the women in the room will turn around <laughs> and say Dmitri, um, Ivan, and maybe maybe Volodya or Vladimir, and then the other half the half of half of the men will turn around. So it, it's not that uncommon in Russia, but here it's like, oh, a cool, unique name. Um, and I guess I guess that's nice. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and that's what one of the great things about this country is uh, huge diversity of names and people. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, really do. That was Anastasia Golovashkina with the Warren campaign. She's at at Golovashkina on Twitter. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at resistancedashboard.com or now on greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.